We do that with some sort of purpose. For Part of the purpose is this. We like to have a good time during the Christmas season, but also in the scripture, we're going to be looking at three songs of praise in the birth narrative. Three Christmas carols. We're not going to look at them all in one day. We're going to look at the first one today and the next two, the next two weeks. But today is Mary's song of praise. We don't have any emoji for that. Uh, but Mary's song of praise in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. And her song of praise was a response. It was a response for what God had done in her heart and for her and through her life. And this was all started with God sending an angel Gabriel to Mary with a divine message, saying in 26 through 31, if I may sum it up, you are favored and you will bring forth a son and you'll name him Jesus. And he is the son of God. In 32 and 33, the Bible says he's the son of God and will be king forever. And her response when Mary heard this was very real. It was a real response, I believe, just like any of us would have responded. She said, how can this happen? This is impossible. According to what she's thinking, what she's feeling, what she knows, she says, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Now, Matthew's gospel sends more time to emphasize that Mary had no involvement with a man prior to the birth of Jesus. Mary's response of how can this happen is a way of saying this cannot be because it's humanly impossible, but the scripture says with God, all things are possible. Amen? So Gabriel persists with a response of his own. And he says to her, he says, the presence and power of God will conceive new life in you. That's in verse 35. And what this means is that the Holy Spirit generated the humanity of Jesus. And notice the involvement as you study the scriptures and our doctrines and what we hold true to. As we just baptized three people and asked them, have they called upon the name of the Lord to be saved? Has there been a moment of repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ? And then we would say, based on that, we baptized them as a family member into the family of God and then baptized them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God, three in persons, one in essence, three in function, distinct in what they do. And if you look in the scripture, you're not going to find a subheading where it says the Trinity explained, but you will see evidence of God and the Godhead all throughout scripture. Here in the birth narrative, you see this. The Holy Spirit, the scripture says, came upon Mary. And then the Bible says the power of God, the Father, overshadowed her. And the result was Jesus, the Son of God. There's the Trinity in the scripture. And Gabriel continues in verse 36, because of this, Mary, your son Jesus will be holy. He will be set apart from his creation in perfection and in all holiness. Now, this is important. So let's take an important moment as we dig in here to the virgin birth because it's significant. It's not something that you just pass by in the scripture. It's not something where you think Christianity just really doesn't need to have the, the virgin birth. It can still persist and still go on. It's super important, very significant. Jesus was virgin born, born different than anybody else. He was physically born to Mary by the power of God's spirit. And because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, he had no nature to sin and neither did he have an inclination to sin. But because he was born to Mary, Jesus is fully man. Because he was born of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is fully God. And because of those things, God is able. Jesus is able. As a man, Jesus is able to relate. 
to our weaknesses and our challenges, as it says in Hebrews. As a man, Jesus is able to be the living sacrifice that is necessary for the forgiveness of our sin. As fully God, he is able to be the perfect sacrifice, the acceptable sacrifice to God the Father. As fully God, he is able to raise up out of the grave and all the power of God to give all of those who believe in him hope of everlasting life. You see, you cannot dismiss that Jesus was born of a virgin. You cannot dismiss that he was born differently than you and I. To remove the virgin birth is to remove a key piece of the essence of our faith. God gives life where there is no life. God does things that seem humanly impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And for us to be saved, it must be of God. Now, during this time, Mary's relative Elizabeth was six months pregnant. We're all we're working through the last half there, of, or, the, or right in the middle of Luke chapter 1. Gabriel speaks to Mary, and then Mary goes to Elizabeth. But before that, Gabriel explains to Elizabeth what also was happening that is miraculous, because Elizabeth, her relative, was pregnant. This is a miraculous pregnancy in itself, because the Scripture says that Elizabeth was very old, She was unable to have children. That's what the Bible says. So God, through the angel Gabriel, he delivers a word to Zechariah and Elizabeth that they would have a son. And this son would prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. This would be the baby that would be the man who is John the Baptist. And so God, through the angel Gabriel, gave divine word to Elizabeth. And then God, through the angel Gabriel, through his revelation, delivered a word to Mary that she would deliver the Messiah. And in verse 37, we are given a rock-solid verse to cling to. Verse 37 says, For the word of God will never fail. It will never fail. God's plans and God's promises do not fall through. Mary's song of praise is our focal passage today. It's the Magnificat, as it's called. And it actually is delivered after visiting with Elizabeth. And Elizabeth pours into Mary with this proclamation that says in verse 42, God has blessed you above all women. And so Mary then in song expresses her heart and magnifies the Lord. This is called the Magnificat because it's of another language translation. And if you're reading in the King James Version, you have just read the word magnify. And if you are using the New Living Translation, you read the word praise, how my soul praises the Lord. Now, a study of this word reveals that it's not necessarily about lifting God up, but about making him large. It's a declaration of greatness because when you take a closer look of God, you are are found in your heart to know that God is awesome. Magnify the God, the magnificent. Obviously, this makes us think of what? A magnifying glass. When you put a magnifying glass on an object, it increases it in size. And when this happens, you are able to see the detail in which it consists of. This is increasing in our knowledge as we look at something under a magnifying glass. It helps us to think of the object in ways we've never thought of before. And so when Mary magnifies the Lord, we get a look at God in ways that we've not thought of before. Or maybe for some of us, we've not thought of God in this way in a long time. And this is what you see here. And when we see and personally experience God, we see God at a closer distance. Verse 47, what we see is this. He is the Savior. He is our rescuer. How long has it been 
since you have considered that Jesus is the rescue for your sin. If it were not for Jesus, the Son of God, fulfilling the Father's plan, that we would bust hell wide open. Because of our sin, we would be separate from God. And Mary sings in verse 47, Oh, how my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary was being blessed with a divine child. But magnify God her Savior is what she said. She did not magnify God her provider because she was having a child. She magnified God her Savior. Why would she sing in this way? If you look back in verse 32, it reveals to us that Mary magnified the Lord in this way because Gabriel gave the name to the son who is to be named Jesus. You will name him Jesus. This means the salvation of Jehovah or God the Savior. So when God blessed Mary with a child and named him Jesus, what Gabriel was saying to Mary is that the Messiah that you've always needed and the Messiah that all of y'all have been waiting on is going to be your child. He is Jesus, the one Israel and the world have expected and needed. And Mary believed in the Messiah that was to come. She believed that this child would be Jesus, not just another child, but that it would be sent of God to save man from his sin. And she experienced God not just as an unknown power up above, like there is this mysterious God who we hope will do something, but when his name is given that is Jesus, she knows that this child will be the Christ child, the Messiah, the one that is sent to save Jesus the salvation of God. Jesus is our hope beyond the grave. Jesus is my peace now in this life that we live. He has made a way for our forgiveness. God has made a way through Jesus for right standing unto heaven. And this is why she sings, not to just her provider, but a closer look shows us why she sings about her Savior. Mary herself needed a Savior. Mary herself confessed her faith in Jesus as she sings, God, my Savior. Now, respectfully, respectfully, up against other beliefs surrounding Mary, Mary was not sinless. We know this simply because she called on the Lord. She called upon God, her Savior. She, through her own declaration, needed a Savior. Mary doesn't confer blessings. God confers blessings. Godly, listen, good and godly and wonderful people in the scripture and even now, just like Mary, are to be respected, but they are not to be counted on as God. God is God. And so she calls upon Jesus and praises God for her Savior because she needed a Savior. Hey, and so do you. And so do I. We need God our Savior. If you are lost at sea, and you are there being dropped in the water that is surrounding you. And there is no way out. You may be the best swimmer in the world, but you will not survive on your own. You will not make it out based on your best efforts. You need to be rescued. Church, listen to me. Sin is the sea that we all swim in, and Jesus is our only rescue. According to God, he is the rescue from our sin, the rescue from our separation. Now, when you think about swimming in that 
sea of sin and Jesus being the rescue, knowing that our forgiveness is needed because our sin is great. And when you think about your need for God to save you and set you right with him and right with him for eternity, it begs the question, how do you signal his rescue? If you know today that you are in need of forgiveness, if you are uncertain about where you would spend eternity as you never know what a day will bring, and you think to yourself, okay, I agree in my heart that I am a sinner and I am in need of God to save me. How do I signal his rescue? The scripture teaches very seriously and very simply, believe on Jesus and call on Jesus. I mean, this is what we've just seen in the baptistry is that children and grown men and everybody above and in between if they will humble themselves before God, recognizing that they have sin and are in need of a Savior and will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus in faith that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that they would be saved. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is another reason why you should consider baptism because baptism, while it's not the only profession of faith or public profession of faith, it is a public profession of faith that you are professing before everybody looking on that God has done a work in you to get you started towards the forgiveness of your sin and you have trusted his way that is Jesus Christ to make you right. And so you follow in believers' baptism, not to be saved, but because you are because you have called upon the name of the Lord. It's that simple, it's that serious. And the scripture says in Romans 10, 10, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Mary, taking a closer look at her song, declares that she and we need a savior. And then she sings that he is the mighty one. The mighty one with the mighty arm is the way the scripture puts it there in verse 51. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. Mighty speaks of powerful and capable. When you think to yourself as a kid, what do kids do if we, if we were to say, hey, show them just how mighty you are? What would they do? They would not flex their calf muscle, right? And they would not be like, you should see my brain power. That's not what kids do. What do kids do? They do this right here. They give you one of these, right? They start posing with the arm because the power is in the arm. The scripture says that God is mighty. It speaks of his mighty arm that is powerful and capable to comfort and guide and create. But listen to me. Many who are powerful and many who are capable do not always use it for good. Many who have mighty arms do not always use it for good. One of my earliest memories I have of mighty arms is from physical education class when I was a kid, and we played a very intense game called Red Rover. <laughs> How many of you remember Red Rover in here? You survived it, bless God. Red Rover, if you've not played it before, is when you join hands with other kids in your physical education class and your mighty arms are linked by your hands, and you make a line across that would go across the stage, and then on the other side is another group that have joined their arms by their hands, and one of you in this line to that line calls out one poor soul 
to run towards you and basically you clothesline them <laughs> to the ground. This is it, isn't it? I got an amen out of that. Like, that's what P used to be now. Y'all hear what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, I, I, we've got physical education teachers in here. I'm pretty sure, I don't know, I don't know. I don't think you can play that game anymore, right? Uh, isn't that the one where you clothesline to the ground? Yeah, that, that one's out. But I remember playing this game, and then you hear your name called, and there's like this excitement where you're like, yeah, let's get it. And then you get closer, and you're like, well, I'm going to die. Like, because <laughs> you just clothesline them to the ground. That really is what happens. Y'all, this is why generations before you are just tougher, straight up. <laughs> you, are, you are taught life lessons by the violent arms of your classmates. Just because an arm is powerful does not mean it always produces good results. So why do we always talk of God and his mighty power in a good way? Why do we always seem to talk about God's mighty arm? And, and it, what it says in, in verse, 50, verse 51, his mighty arm has done tremendous things, good things, great things that God has done. See, a closer look shows that Mary has discovered that our mighty God has done very good things. The power of God is to give life where there is no life. The power of God is to give light where there is darkness. The power of God is to give strength when there is weakness. To make a way when there is no way is what the mighty arm of God does. So why are the examples that we give of God's power always good? Because of what Mary's saying in verse 49. For the mighty one is holy. He's holy. We are not sitting here on earth wondering what God is like, for God has revealed himself through the word of God and through the Son of God. He is holy. As we've studied before, the holiness of God is God's base characteristic. If you want to know what God is like, you should trust that God is holy. Holiness, as one author puts it, is the central attribute. It is the centerpiece of his being. And because it is, it is central to understanding all of who God is. God is holy. And when we hear this morning that God is holy, what should click in our mind and heart is that no, God is not out to get you. God is out to save you. And he will discipline those who are his children for sure. Why? Because he loves them. And where does that come from? From his holiness. No, God is not out to get you. God does not ignore you. Is God not hearing my prayers? There may be things that stand in the way of your prayers by the way of sin. So that's why you should confess them and forsake them so that fellowship would be restored. But God is not ignoring you. And God has not forgotten you. It may just be that those very few simple, powerful words need to be heard from your heart or from my heart, from the word of God to yours this morning. God has not forgotten you. God has not cast you aside and said he or she could never be used. How do we know that? Because God is holy. Because of all of the good characteristics that we know of God, even justice, justice is a good characteristic of God, is it not? Mercy and grace and all those things we know of God because he is holy. Throughout the Old Testament, even here in the New Testament, he's called the Holy One. Listen to this in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. Isaiah 57, 15 says, The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the Holy One, says this, I live in the high and holy place, a place that's set apart, right? I live in a high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. 
I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. So this sets the stage. The holiness of God sets the stage for the rest of the way there in verses 46 through 55 where we learn the good characteristics of our mighty God that are magnified in this song. The first thing you see there in verse 50, the Bible says he shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. He shows mercy. God is a God of mercy. What what does that mean? It means he, he considers our misery That's what mercy is. Mary's song is a a praise for deliverance, a song where she had always prayed and the people of of God and Israel had prayed for God to do something that they could not do to free them from their bondage that they thought of being bondage physically that that were held down by, by other people groups, but it was their sin that was their greatest enemy and the people of God had grown for generations calling for a deliverer. And then you look in the scripture when they had, they had called for a deliverer, God would send them one, ultimately Jesus. And Mary sings of the deliverer that would save them from their greatest enemy. I don't know who you consider your greatest enemy today, but I'm going to tell you mine. My sin is my greatest enemy. It is my greatest enemy. I deserve eternal judgment from God. That's what I deserve. I deserve hell. It is Super sobering to say that, but it is the truth. And some of you may think, well, I don't know about that, man. You seemed okay to me, but I know better. I know exactly what I deserve. Even after salvation, I sometimes struggle to live the new life that God has given me. Can anyone identify with that this morning? But while Christians deserve separation from God, we desire fellowship with God. And because of that, we will confess our sins and our need for God. We will cry out to God. And in response, the scripture alludes to this, that God's heart goes out to those who are lowering themselves and in this helpless condition. God identifies with our misery, that is mercy. It is the heart of God out of his holiness moved towards those who would lower themselves before him. But let me tell you, it would not be enough for us if God simply had the impulse to relieve our condition. If God just felt bad for us, it would not be enough to save us. You see, if we see someone in need and we truly feel compassion for them, that is a good thing, is it not? But is our compassion going to help them? It is a part of it, but no, because compassion and mercy, the feeling of relief for someone else is not enough to deliver. You see, we don't receive what we deserve because Jesus was the recipient of what we deserve. Jesus took the punishment for our death. Mercy is the compassion of God on the way to the gift of God, which is the grace of God, which is Jesus. The mercy of God that we experience is the heart of God out of his holiness. That's what happens when you magnify the Lord and take a closer look. When you take a closer look at God, you will see that out of his holiness, he is just. In verse 51, the last half of that verse, Mary says that he he scatters the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and he's exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. Lord, Would you please solidify in our hearts your word today as we read it one more time? 
How does it just feel led to read this word by word once more? God scatters the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. For those who are under the thumb of the Roman Empire, just like for these Jews here in this time and place, many, many were helpless as it, was a, or as it related to civil rights. Many were helpless as it related to justice. And so this song that Mary sang at this time and place in history would have been heard as a protest song. Some of you think through the years in the life of our country that songs have come out that would influence the culture as protest songs. And Mary's song during this time and place before a, a Roman empire would have been seen as a protest song. In fact, I've read that in the past century, at least three different countries have banned this publicly, have banned the public recitation of Mary's Magnificent. This is the, the longest set of words spoken by a woman in the New Testament. This song has been viewed as a fight the power song. It's crazy when you think about it like that, isn't it? But the truth is, this is really not a fight the power song. This is not saying for us to become political zealots who violently overthrow authorities. That is not the message of the Word of God. No, this is not a fight the power song. It's a see the difference song. See the difference in God's economy. See the difference in the things that God values. Because when you take a closer look at God, it reveals that he values things differently than the way we see it in the world. He does not reward the arrogant, nor does he ignore the needy. Our Savior and King was a suffering servant, the Bible says. The Bible teaches us that our Savior and King denied himself for the sake of others. In the economy of God, it's the humble, not the powerful, that are promoted. In the economy of God, it's the lowly servant instead of the highly selfish that he are called to this glorious position. Why? Why would God do it this way? Listen, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible teaches us that God would hum, take the humble and he would raise them up and he would take the proud and he would lower them down. Why would he do that? The Bible says, so that no one can boast in the presence of God. That's why God used this lowly servant girl. Because now when we hear her song, it is a song that magnifies the holiness of God. It does not magnify her. God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. God's kingdom is a wondrous reversal where people are not at the top God's kingdom is a kingdom where God is at the top. And when God is at the top, that's the best for all the people. So this is a reminder to us all, especially beginning with me, toward the responsibility of lowering ourselves, of a lower self, of self-denial, of humility, of service, of glorying in the one who deserves it over and above anybody else. Ladies and gentlemen, in the relationships that you find yourself in today, would they not be better if those that were involved in those relationships would take a place of selflessness, service, humility, and self-denial? And the church said, amen. You see, we know this to be true. It's a difficult challenge because we have that part of us that wants to puff up. We have that part of us that wants to be prideful and raise our flag for all the things that we want and all the things that we say that we need, but it's really just about what we desire. And in the economy of God, God lifts up those 
who would set themselves down before his ways and his will. Finally, out of the holiness of God, when you take a look and you magnify God, what you see is that God is faithful. God is faithful. The Bible says he has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful there in verse 54. For he has made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Gabriel's words in chapter 1, verse 33, he will reign over Israel forever. The kingdom will never end. This is a recollection of God's covenant with David. And then Mary, what does she do? She has a recollection of God's covenant with Abraham, where she says, he has made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. God is faithfulness is probably something that you've already heard. If you've been in church all your life, you've probably heard all your life that God is faithful. But this morning, it shouldn't wash over you because when we are in our sin and we wonder by our flesh if God would forgive us and help us once again, isn't it good to know that God is faithful? Isn't it good to know that God has not written us off? You see, those covenants are made by him and through him. Mary's words recalling the covenants that were made. Listen, it had been a while, but God had not forgot them. You need to hear that today. It had been a while between they called on the deliverer and God sent a deliverer, but it was not because God forgot. It was God working through his time and his purpose because God never forgets his promises, ever. You see, feeling forgotten is a terrible feeling, is it not? I mean, you can think of, I, I thought of this this week of, of the times in my life when I have felt forgotten. Some of those are funny stories, right? Like somebody forgot you and left you and they had to come back and pick you up. If you went to church all your life, that happened. I had godly parents, but if we ever drove separate, sometimes they made their way home and you got left the church. <laughs> But we live just a few minutes down. Mom and Daddy, I love y'all, and y'all have done awesome. It's just, it's just an illustration. Just an illustration. <laughs> Anybody else? My wife, I know, has been, where, where is Brittany? Brittany, I know, there you are. She's been left at church. Anybody else been left at church? There we go. <laughs> Conviction is a shared experience, Mom and Daddy. That's good. But it, you think about those funny times like you've been forgotten. Sometimes as a kid, you're like, they, they left. We can play ball at least another hour more. But then there are times in your life when you think to yourself, you know what? I was forgotten and that really hurt. And we're not talking about there's a mix up and somebody comes back and gets you, but somebody intentionally left you out. Or maybe that's the way that you feel now. That's the way you felt for a long time. There's deep reasons for it and you've got your reasons, but everybody else is going, but you didn't get to go. And everything that you feel says that the world's moving by me and I'm not a part of it. Forgotten is a, is a bad feeling. It's likely a, a feeling that in one way or another we've all experienced. Gosh, but listen to this word. If you are in Christ, how can God forget you when he is always with you? How can God not be mindful of you? And you may say, well, this is the way that I feel. But you've got to receive the scripture as fact. God is faithful even when we're unfaithful. God holds true to his promises on his time because it is not a part of his holiness to forget you. This is the complete character of God. And that is the promise of Christmas, that God came to save us and to stay with us. 
His arrival was proof that he does not forget even a single one of those who receive him as Lord and Savior. If you are in Christ, you are not forgotten. You are not separated. God is still working in you as you live and believe in him. Trust the word of God. Trust the truth over what you feel. This is one woman's heart response to God that we read this morning. A magnified look at the Lord. Let me close with this question as we're done. When is the last time you have told the Lord what you think of him? When is the last time with full heart and mind that you have told God your Savior, merciful, mighty, holy God, the God who never forgets you, the God who gave his own son to die for your sins. When is the last time you have told the Lord through your song, through your journal, through your prayer, through your poem, through your expression? When's the last time you've told him your heart to God's, what you think of him? What if I sent you a Christmas card this season? As many of you will receive Christmas cards, you will send them. What if I sent you a Christmas card and on the outside of it was just one of those generated, automated messages of Merry Christmas. And when you open it up, it just says, Dash Andy John. What would you think? You would think he's mailing it in. Pun intended. He's, he is, he's phoning it in. He sent it because he thinks that he should do it. He sent it because that's what he always does. If I were just to send you that card that says, Merry Christmas, dash me, I'm pretty sure that most of you would be thinking, I don't know if he wants me to have a Merry Christmas or not. <laughs> I'm beginning to question this. When it comes to praise, has it become automated? Has it become our name attached because that's what we always do and if we don't do it, we feel bad because we didn't. We always sing and we always pray a little because we feel like that's what we ought to do. When is the last time you've told the Lord what you think of him? God's blessing prompted Mary's praise. My soul praises. My spirit rejoices. He has done great things for me. What you see in the scripture today is a biblical practice that is emphasized repetitively throughout the scripture for those who live and believe in Jesus. Psalm 30, verse 4 being one example of that. Sing to the Lord, you godly ones. Sing to the Lord and praise his holy name. Magnify the Lord with our words, our thoughts, our feelings, and especially our life and witness. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. We want to invite you to this altar today for the same reasons we always do. We would love for you to come and pray. There's nothing that says that you have to come to the altar and pray, but there is something very special about getting on your knees before God. Maybe you've not done that in a long time and you need to. Maybe there's somebody in your heart and life that you need to come and lift to the Lord at this altar on your knees. Is it time for you to be saved? Is it time for you to come and, and to call on the Lord and let somebody help with, help with that? If you need to join the church, if you yourself need to be baptized, Lord, in the name of Jesus, in a holy moment, God, we pray today that within the moments we have left together, 
that we would not leave here without lifting our heart to you. Lord, not only have you created us, you have made a way, a way that many of us have accepted for eternal life. So Lord, may you hear from our heart today as we desire to magnify you, to praise you, to think of words that we've never used before in our prayers. Lord, to to go back over the work that you've done in our life, fresh and anew. Father, as Mary recognized her need for a Savior, if there is one or many today that simply and seriously recognize the same thing, Lord, as they've seen a few profess their faith through baptism, Lord, I pray that today that if you are working up in our heart a conviction of sin and a need for salvation, that we would simply and seriously call on you to be saved, that we would call on you to be saved. We thank you, Lord, for your holiness, and we trust you because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you.